0: PodCastle episode 176 for September 27th, 2011. Middle-aged Weirdo in a Cadillac by George Galushak. Rated R for thematic material. Hello and welcome to PodCastle. I'm Dave Thompson and we've got another fun one for you this week. Kind of a nice story for the early fall. It's also a pretty short tale, which might provide a nice counterbalance to last week's giant episode. Before we get too far out on the road, though, I wanted to share a little bit of creative writing advice that stuck with me ever since college. Telling a story is kind of like going to a party. You don't want to be the first person there, and you don't want to be the last. Instead, show up late and leave early. Now keep in mind, I'm not actually trying to give you social advice, that's not necessarily the best way to behave, but as far as fiction goes, I think it works pretty well. There's a lot of reasons for this, but the main one is, showing up early and leaving on time in fiction is boring. Introductions become mundane, you know, like, Obi-Wan Kenobi meet Anakin Skywalker. Are you kidding me? That's their introduction? Come on George! Aw, geez, sorry, it's just Empire Strikes Back was the first movie I ever saw and everything since then has been kind of viewed through Jedi-tinted lenses. I didn't mean to push my anti-Lucas prequel agenda there. My bad. Where were we again? Ah, introductions. So that's not to say introductions can't be done right. Just don't make them boring. See how Obi-Wan Kenobi was introduced back in the original Star Wars trilogy. Or on Solo. Oh my God, not going to rage again. Anyway, what matters in fiction is the stuff that happens in between points A and B, the journey. And if you don't always actually see point A or B, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm very proud to present this week's story, Middle-Aged Weirdo in a Cadillac, by George Glushak, originally published in Strange Horizons. If you want to read along, click on the link in our show notes. George Galushak is a graduate of Viable Paradise. His short fiction has appeared in Strange Horizons, and he has stories forthcoming in The Big Book of Bizarro and The Apexology. He's currently working on a novel. Our tour guide this week is another weirdo, Norm Sherman, who probably doesn't need an introduction to this audience, but what the heck, I'll give him one anyway. He's the co-host of our sister podcast, The Skate Pod, and the host of The Drabblecast. Check him out if you're not listening already. So buckle up, crank up that ACDC, and enjoy the story.
1: Middle-Aged Weirdo in a Cadillac by George R. Galushak He's driven this way five times already, watching the same banks and donut shops and car washes fly past in a never-ending reel, got the front windows open, taking in the night air, and then he sees her, sitting on the curb, cradling her head in her arms, going boo-hoo hodgepodge of a girl and woman mini skirt halter top no bra friendship bracelet on wrist hair pulled back with cherry scrunchie hello kitty stick on tattoo on her left shoulder mushy from the heat hello he cruises to a stop i'm lost and i need to get to the interstate she raises her head and looks at him middle-aged weirdo in a cadillac tom cruise shades charcoal suit pork pie hat looks about 40 like her dad "'probably smokes, a hint of ash about him. "'I'll give you directions.' "'When he shakes his head, she says, "'It's simple, even a moron could do it.' "'I'm afraid I'm not a moron,' he tells her. "'The last three people I asked gave me directions, "'and I ended up getting more lost, "'so it would be easier if you just got into the car and showed me.' "'She snorts. "'Are you for real?' (laughs) "'She'd be stupid to get in. "'She surely would. "'I can drop you off wherever you want.' He stretches the sides of his mouth upwards, taking care not to show too many teeth. A smile. That's what they call it. All right. She shrugs and gets in. You can take me home. The interstate is, like, two blocks from my house. He keeps the eagerness out of his voice. Sounds good. Just so you know, my father is a cop. If you touch me, he'll beat your head in. My name is Bob, he shakes his head, and I'm not a child molester. Okay, then. She lets the child thing go. Pulls a pack of camels out of her purse. Got a nasty scrape on her elbow. Want a ciggy? No, thanks. His hand goes to his pocket, and a dagger of fear jabs her belly, but all he takes out is a lighter. Snap of fingers, whiff of ozone and brimstone, bright tongue of fire. He holds it out. Cool. She lights up, takes a hack. "'No offense, but what is it with old guys, anyway? "'I mean, I had this old guy hitting on me yesterday in the mall. "'I was like, go away, old man. "'What is it with them?' "'Maybe he's horny,' Bob says, "'which makes her snort and drop the cigarette between her feet. "'Oh, geez,' she stamps it out. "'I'm sorry, it'll leave a mark. "'That's okay, it's just a rental.' "'He glances up at the moon. "'Time's a-wasting. "'So, which way do I go?' "'She settles into the seat.' Go down maple street bob taps the steering wheel with his fingers i don't know any maple street drive that way she points we'll stay on this road for a few minutes and then we'll make a turn it's not far all right he pulls the car into the street and she wonders where he's really taking her a park a rat infested warehouse a trailer park for inbred hillbillies all the possibilities She's seen it all and more on TV, all those middle-aged weirdos doing terrible things to those poor lost girls. Oh boy, I think I'm wasted. She closes her eyes and lies back on the seat, her stomach knots, with that all-too-familiar feeling, dread, and excitement. I bet one of those guys put something in my drink. That's what I get going to a jock party alone. Eileen usually comes with me, but she's got something going with her boyfriend tonight. Dork City, ask me no answer. I went to this party, see, and it was all guys. She wonders if he's looking at her, if he can hear her voice trembling. No girls, just a bunch of jocks sitting around drinking beer. I should have left right then. It's not smart being the only girl at a party, but I stayed even when they'd put on the porno. She cracks open an eye. He's staring at the dashboard, the buttons and dials, like he's never seen anything like it before. It got ugly. There was an ugly feeling in the room. You could almost touch it. They were looking at me and leering. One of the guys said something about going downstairs to the basement, so I said I needed to use the bathroom. I locked myself in and wouldn't come out. They laughed and banged on the door. Come out! Come out! They yelled. So I climbed out the window. I scraped my elbow. I ran. I heard them laughing when I ran away. He's not sure what he's supposed to say to that, so he settles on. I see. Mr. I want to go home. Her voice breaks. Will you take me home? All right. He nods, and then, sure. You will? She sounds surprised. When you drove up, I figured you were a middle-aged weirdo who'll take me to some cement factory where you'll rape me and kill me and then cut me into little pieces. But I got in because I just don't care anymore, you know? Sorry to disappoint you. He clears his throat. Are we still on course for the interstate? Turn right at the next traffic light. You mean the red, yellow, green blinking thing? He's driven past a bunch of them, wondering why the other cars honk, so... Yeah, that's right. She rolls her eyes. Boy, you're clueless. Where are you from, anyway? Hell. (laughs) You are a psycho, she laughs. I knew it. Really? He takes off the tom cruise shades and she sees the eyes of a goat bright amber rectangular pupils dilating in the dusky evening jesus christ she huddles against the seat clamps her hands over her mouth they screwed up bob sighs puts the shades back on of course they screwed up they always do it's a running joke but it's not so bad at least they don't give me a butterfly's proboscis or crab mandibles She's thinking about throwing herself out of the car. She pictures herself hitting the pavement, bones shattering, bouncing and rolling to the sidewalk. Her eyes water up, and she sees her grave, tastefully decorated with white lilies, her friends and family dressed in black, the bawling, the weeping, all the tears they'd shed just for her. They drive past a 7-Eleven, and she notices a group of her friends, clustered together, doing nothing the way young people are so good at She thinks about popping out the window like a jack-in-the-box, screaming and waving her arms so they can see her, being kidnapped by the middle-aged weirdo from hell. A thought hits her then. She peers at the top of his head, trying not to be too obvious about it, her checking him out. No way to tell with the hat. Um, excuse me, she's just got to ask. Do you have horns? No, he shakes his head. Horns have a certain appeal to the more flamboyant among us, but I've never liked them. Do the job, go home. That's my philosophy. Why are you here? It's a good question. The usual. My client signed a standard contract. When his dot-com went bust, he tried to renege. She shrugs. Of course he did. They all try to renege. So they sent me. Why do you need to get to the interstate? To get home. She's a chatty one, all right. One of the entrances to hell is in Cleveland, below Lake Erie. The biggest entrance is in New Jersey, of course, but that's a bit of a ride. She points at the dashboard. You've got a GPS, you know. I've got no idea how to use that thing. The last time I walked this world, it was buggies and Model Ts. What about your client? She's getting all into the conversation. This guy isn't like her dad at all. He's interesting. The guy who tried to renege? He's in the trunk what's left of him anyway. Do you want to see? Uh, No, thanks. She shivers. You stop at the corner. I'm that house right there. Here we are. He pulls the car up to the curb. And then, could you direct me to the interstate, please? Do you mind if we talk a little longer? She snuffles like a hungry horse. I don't have anyone to talk to. She puts her head in her hands and starts to bawl bob rolls his eyes he doesn't have time for things like this no he doesn't but he has no choice when you are a creature of absolute violence your options are limited if he rips off her head he still won't know how to get to the interstate and he can't tell her what they'll do to him if he's not back by dawn never show weakness so he lets her cry sorry she wipes her eyes it's just like i don't know what's wrong with me Oh, you have a Ouroboros in your belly, he tells her. A black worm from Hades. It feeds on your bile and misery. She looks at her belly button, uneasy. You've got to be kidding me. No, it's the cause of every single stupid thing you've ever done, basically. He decides to change the subject. Could you direct me to the interstate, please? She points. Keep driving that way. Turn left at the next red, yellow, green blinking thing. The interstate's right there. Just go up the ramp. Thank you. A surge of relief. He's home, free. Do you want me to remove the Ouroboros? If you want, I can take it out. She looks at him, wary. Will that kill me? No, you'll feel better. Will it hurt? Um, uh, yes. He shrugs, just a little bit. I'm afraid of pain. I know girls who, you know, they, they cut their arms. Some of them burn themselves with a lighter. I can't do that because, because I'm a coward. As you wish. She's a talker, this one. Bob remembers when humans were a tribe of monkeys in Africa. They called them cheepers back then, the way they chattered amongst themselves, hooting and whistling and scolding. No, wait. She shakes her head. Why? Why would you do that for me? You gave me directions to the interstate. Why is she making such a big deal about it? And it's not a hard thing for me to do. It's like swatting a fly, maybe. What should I do? Open your mouth. He regards her dental fillings. A bit wider, please. This is a bad idea, she thinks, and parts her jaws further. Uh, Good enough. Bob thrusts his hand into her mouth and she jerks against the seat, spit and gurgle trickling down her neck, her cheeks puffing out like an amorphous bullfrog as Bob's hand creeps into her throat, his fingers sliding down her gullet towards the lower regions. She can feel the knob of his elbow pressing against her teeth, and then he stops. His shoulder stiffens. He pulls his hand out of her mouth. A black worm the size of a water snake is curled around his fist. It writhes and spits, the spikes protruding from its underbelly digging into Bob's skin. Its eyes are red-rimmed and strangely human. A sound like a wailing baby comes from its mouth. Bob grips the worm's neck with his other hand, squeezes, and the head flies onto the street. Done. He unwinds the still jerking body and tosses it out the window. Her mouth snaps shut. She takes a gasping breath. Oh, that was inside me? Uh, yes, you were born with it. She sticks her head out the window and retches. Bob turns to the dashboard and fiddles with the dials. When he pushes a button, the radio blares to life, and he starts against the seat. Smiles. So that's how it works. She wipes her mouth. I threw up all over your door. No, that's all right. It's only a rental. She hugs herself. Will it come back? No. Bob shakes his head. It's dead. Listen, I need to go. Panic's whiskers brushed against her cheek. She fumbles with the door handle. When it doesn't open, she pulls at it with both hands, beats her fists against it. Bob says, you need to press the button. Oh, she presses the button, pulls the handle, and the door opens. She gives out a hysterical giggle. (laughs) Whoops. Eh, Don't worry about it. He picks up her purse, hands it over. It took me an hour to figure it out. One hour, sitting in the car, pulling at the handle, the precious minutes winding away, thinking about how they'll flay him and raise his hide up a pole like a flag over the plains of Gehenna. She gets out of the car, slams the door. When she turns, he's back to playing with the dials. She hears a radio preacher screeching about Jesus. She clears her throat. throat) Thank you. He lifts a hand, waves. She runs to her porch the light is on because her mother always leaves it on the door is unlocked she enters her house turns the car is gone she can see the orange red tail lights fading fading into the distance a fat gray cat rubs against her leg it meows her mother yells close the door
0: and welcome back. Hope you enjoyed your glimpse down the highway to hell. So, the moral of this story? Everybody who told you hitchhiking was wrong was wrong? Especially if we're talking about hitchhiking with a demon? Actually, just to be clear, this is a fantasy fiction podcast and I feel it incumbent upon me to make it clear that we at PodCastle do not in any way, shape, or form endorse the idea of anyone going for rides in middle-aged weirdos cars especially if said middle-aged weirdos are demons. Remember, kids, we are a fantasy fiction podcast, and we do have a strong anti-hitchhiking agenda. Thus ends your Podcastle public service announcement and brings us to... Feedback! This week we're talking about Samantha Henderson's Five Ways Jane Austen Never Died, read by Amal El-Motar. A story comprised of five vignettes in which Jane Austen's death is mythologized and caused me to confess on Amal El Matar's Facebook page that although I'd like to picture myself as Conan, stop laughing, I'm probably closer off to Mr. Knightley. Anyway, perhaps because of the multiple vignettes, listener reaction to this one was decidedly mixed. Child of Tyranny said, They were well written and each and every one might make a great story by themselves, but having not read any Austen before, I have no idea how these were related. It's alright as a series of vignettes about this adventurous faceless lady, but without knowing her from earlier, it lacks that wow factor. Anarchistador said, I thought the story was a little hard to follow, but I love the concept. Jane Austen and her time-traveling commandos, Woohoo! I would so travel back in time to rescue Jane from a horrible Victorian-era death. Of course, she'd probably make some cutting remark about it that would make my stupid male brain spin, but hey! That's why we love her, right? That's right, Anarchistador. And thanks very much for those comments. Log on to our forum at forum.escapeartist.net and let us know what you thought of this week's story. We'd love to hear from you. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. Every single cent goes to paying our authors and keeping our little castle speeding down the podcast superhighway in the sky, hopefully avoiding hell. Thanks. That's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. On behalf of everyone here at Pondcastle, I'd like to thank you for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next time when we kick off our month of Halloween with a classic tale by Edgar Allan Poe. While you're waiting, maybe have someone take the time to x-ray that Ouroboros in your belly. Hope it works out for you. See you next time. You can discuss this episode of PodCastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend or post to your blog about it or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Hunter S. Thompson said, Yesterday's weirdness is tomorrow's reason why.